Let me pray. Lord, I pray that it is well with our souls. We come here in many different positions, many different situations, and, and sometimes our souls are really troubled. Sometimes our souls really do find rest in you. And we pray that that would be a regular, constant thing, that we can find rest in you. In Christ's name, amen. So we've been doing a series on, on rest and on the biblical basis of rest. And we're, so our goal with this series is to sort of explore the whole biblical framework, or at least part of the biblical framework of rest, and to learn from that how we can practically pursue what has been given to us to enjoy, that is, the presence of God in our lives, and it can be found only in God, a rest that can only be found in God. And it seems a little odd to say, we're going to pursue rest, but that's what it says, okay? And I have to tell you, this is a challenging topic for me. Um, I had a lot of challenges with this. It's not just, it wasn't new. It was, it was, so our topic today is going to be the gift of rest. But I grew up, as, you, as I've said many times, I grew up in a very devout family. And my parents had, the, had a very kind of old school version of what they thought the Sabbath would be like. And it was all these things that we couldn't do. We couldn't do this, we couldn't do that, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. So the whole idea of rest was based on what you couldn't do. This is exactly what the scribes did in the Old Testament. This is what the Jewish scholars did. This is what the Pharisees did. There was this whole idea that rest was based on you can't do these things. And it wasn't really a lot of, like, this is what you should do instead. But there was, you can't do these things. All you could do was break it, right? Not really, but that was kind of the way the Pharisees presented it. And then when I got to, uh, when I got out of the house and into my own and this school and into working and so on on my own, I reacted the complete opposite direction. I thought, well, you know what? My job is not a physically demanding job. Well, I can work seven days a week. I can take my kids to the lab with me in the after on Sunday afternoons and, and they can play in the lab and play safely and, you know, so. <laughs> I was very conscious of their safety. And, and, um, and, and, you know, so I didn't need rest. Why did I need rest? I was a, I was a young guy. Besides, if I rested, you know, I don't think my competitors were resting. I don't think any of the deadlines were going away. I, you know, I didn't need rest. So I, was, I went from one to the other. Um, and then I was 30 years ago or so, I was teaching a Bible study in the book of Hebrews, and it's a passage we're going to look at this morning. And I came across this passage, and I thought, oh, I don't get this. I really, I, whatever rest is, it's way deeper and way more profound and way more subtle and nuanced than I had any idea. And I'm sure that some of the things I thought on each side were actually wrong. And... And so I still have continued to try to figure out what this looks like, what this concept of rest really means. And now I'm in a different stage of life where rest means something different because I'm not going to work. My kids are not at home. I don't have to take them to, to this event or this thing or this school event or this thing. I don't have a manager or a boss telling, well, Deb, but other than that, I don't have a manager or a boss telling me what to do all the time. 
I don't have deadlines on most of the things. So I'm really in a very different position. How do I find rest in this stage of my life? So I'm still trying to figure this out. And what I'm tempted to tell you is, watch what I do. And then try something different. Because I, I don't think I got this right. I think there's a, lot more, there's a lot more to it. And as I've worked on it and worked on it for this message and so on, I realized one of the challenges is it's, it's very foundational to who the concept of rest, rest, not the concept, rest is foundational to how we think about God, how we think about us, how we relate to God, how we, God relates to us. It is right at the core. It's not sort of a peripheral topic. It's, it's a core topic. So I can have the first slides up there. So here are two verses. So as we explore this together, so I, this is really an exploration together because I really want you to think along and think along with me. So Exodus 33, 14. God talking to Moses while they're on the Exodus, they're in the wilderness, and they're not yet anywhere near the promised land. And God says, my presence will go with, this is an amazing verse, Dan talked about this verse already. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So the rest is connected to the presence of God, but it's a little more than just the presence of God. Well, look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, which, you know, and I will give you rest. So I think we can look at those passages and many, many more, and I think all of us would look at them and say, yeah, rest is a gift that God gives us. I don't think that's a, something we would question or dispute. You'd say, yeah, rest is a gift. So let's think about gifts for a minute. Take a moment and think over the last year or two years about some gift that you've gotten that's particularly meaningful or particularly memorable or that's really kind of touched you in a way that you know, maybe more so than others. So just take a moment and think about that. Okay, so you got something in mind? Okay, I'll tell you mine. And I'll just point out that the peop- most of the people who give me gifts, um, of which I get many, and they're men- men- memorable and meaningful, they're either sitting here or they're watching online. So I, I, you know, so, but I, I have been fortunate to receive many, many gifts. This is the one I'm going to tell you about. I have a 25-year-old pickup truck. It gets driven a few times a month. Most of the time, it sits next to the driveway and, and you know, and sitting there. Last fall, I looked out, and my neighbor was, had a bucket of water, soapy water, a sponge, and a hose, and he was washing my truck. And I went out and I said, Mark, thank you. Thank you. What, what are you doing? This is great. I, this is wonderful. And he said, well, you, you guys are good neighbors. And, you know, I had finished doing my car, and I would finished doing my partner's car, my, his girlfriend's car. And, um, and I thought, well, I can do Phil's car. I can do Phil's truck. 
And we stood there, and we were adult men, and we were getting dangerously close to actually sharing our feelings at this point. So, so I did what I always do in those situations. I made a joke, and I said, yeah, and my dirty truck was hurting your property values. And, and Mark was quick enough to pick up on this and said, oh, yeah, no more than the junk in my yard. And okay, so that restored the emotional equilibrium to the situation, and we didn't actually do it. But why was that such a mem Why were I talking about this a year later? Because it was entirely born of his generosity. Entirely came from his generosity. I did nothing to deserve it. I, I hadn't earned this. You know, a lot of the gifts that we get, even though they're very good and very memorable, they really have a sense of obligation attached to them. You know, there's a social obligation. You have to give a gift and so on and so on. And that's great. I mean, I, you know, I, that's good. But when you get one that's absolutely spontaneous and born out of the generosity, you know, the, I wouldn't turn that down. You wouldn't turn that down. You just wouldn't, you'd accept that gift, right? That is something you'd take. But we do, we do reject gifts all the time. I reject gifts multiple times a day. I turn them down multiple times a day. And probably you do too. Every time I go into my email, every time I go on a website, every time I go online anywhere, there are all these things offering me, all these people offering me gifts. Free gift, free gift, free gift. And I turn that down really quickly. I just don't even, I just boom, into the, into the spam filter or into the trash. Why? Why am I turning that gift down? Well, I have no relationship with those people. They have no relationship with me. My neighbor and I have a relationship. I don't, in fact, I actually question their motives. I th I'm very suspicious of them, and I don't, I think they're trying to trap me with something. So I'm, so I'm comfortable rejecting those gifts. What about a gift from God? Does God know us? Oh, absolutely. Who knows us better? Look at Psalm 139 when David talks about it, and how he says, you know, you have, you have known me, and you, search, you search me, and you know me. You know, he, no, God knows us intimately better than we know ourselves, better than anyone else knows us. Does he love us? Does he have a relationship with us and he loves us? Oh, absolutely. You, couldn't, you don't question that. You don't, that's not something you would ask. You know, I mean, Jesus said in Matthew, in Matthew 7, he says it again in Luke, he says, oh, it's a slight paraphrase, but it's basically like this, which of you, if your child asks you for bread, We'll give him a stone. Or which of you who asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, parents, corrupted as, as sin as you are, corrupted by sin as you are, if even you know how to give good things to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give you good things? Or in Luke, it's the whole, it defines the, whole, the good thing as the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You know, so we don't have any doubt we sh about God's goodness, about his love for us, about his knowledge of us. So when he gives us a gift, we should accept it, right? I mean, you don't, right? We, sh we should accept the gifts he gives us, right? I mean, you say with that. Okay. So gifts. Now let's talk about rest. Usually when we use the word rest, 
we mean physical rest, you know, like ceasing to do something, stopping, you know, taking a nap, taking a break. We usually mean physical rest, and it often means that. I had a friend and a colleague, um, friend, colleague, I don't know what the emotional equilibrium was with him. But anyway, he worked at the University of Pennsylvania, and he, was, and he studied, his research area was sleep. Now, and he didn't study sleep in humans. He studied sleep in fruit flies and worms and other things. And he taught me a lot about sleep and rest. Sleep and rest is part of creation. Every organism, every, every organism, every living, every animal has a nervous system, sleeps. They have a rest cycle, every single one. You know how you can do a sleep cycle and you do sleep and you have, this is what your brain is doing, this is what your nervous system is doing, and this is how it's, you know, so. That turns out, same thing happens in fly, fruit flies and worms. Happens in migratory birds. So while they're migrating, they do this. While fish are swimming in the ocean, they do this. There are, there are predictable cycles of rest that God the Creator gave to all living things. Plants have dormancy periods when they rest. Yeah, I mean, you know this, right? Bacteria growing in culture have what's called a stationary phase, where they're not growing anymore, where they're resting, so to speak. It's a little different, they don't have a nervous system. But God, the creator, put, gave us all living things, gave us rest. It is, speaking as somebody whose 401k depended on this topic, it is built into our DNA. I actually know about DNA. So I can tell you, there, is, there are DNA pieces that have to do with rest that God the Creator gave us. And what that does physiologically is a couple things. Well, money things, but a couple that I'll point out. Life causes damage, causes damage to our cells, causes damage to our organs, causes damage to the components of our cells. And when we rest, the body has a chance to repair damage. That's what happens. It's repairing all this damage. So there's this repair thing of what's gone on before, and we can, you know, so it repairs that damage. But there's more than that. Rest is an opportunity for all the things that we've ingested, all the nutrients we've ingested, all the things, to be turned into energy, things, components that we can use. So there's not only a, re a repair, there's a restoration and a, and a preparation part of what comes next. See, we have to have both parts. We have to have the repair of what's gone on, but we have to have the forward-looking part of now I'm prepared for what comes next. That's physical rest. God gave it to all living things. And as you well know, there's only one species on the face of the earth of the million or more species who will say, ah, no thanks. I don't think I need this rest. I can work through the weekend. I can go to work on Sundays, it's not a big deal. 
There's only one species that does that. Uh, you know who it is. And you know that if you, t- you, you don't know this, but you sort of know this part. If you take a fruit fly and do deprive it of this rest, its behavior becomes a lot more erratic. And it's much more susceptible to viruses and diseases. And its lifespan is shorter. So we are given the gift of physical rest by our Creator. And I'm the first to tell you, I spent a lot of my life turning it down. And I shouldn't have. But we'll move on. But that's not the only thing that rest refers to. When um, in the second or third century BC, there was a group of Jewish scholars who gathered in Alexandria and what's now Egypt, and they took the Hebrew scriptures and they translated them into Greek. And it was those Greeks, because that's what people spoke. And, and, and that was the Greek version that was the most familiar to all the writers of the New Testament. Those translators had had a challenge because Hebrew, the Old Testament Hebrew, I did a deep dive on this, so I actually, I I know I I spent 20 minutes learning this. Um, Those, those, there are 14 different Hebrew words that they translated as rest, 14. Some of them were obvious. My water bottle rests on the table, right? That was, that was not a hard one. Some of them were absolutely, they couldn't find an equivalent. Because when you do a translation, as I understand it, what you do is you say, oh, here's, not, here's a word I'm not familiar with. Let's see how else it's used in other documents and how other people translate it and how it's used here and there. And it gives you insight. And some of the words were unique because, as it turns out, Zeus never promised the Greeks, I will be with you and I will give you rest. Ra, Osiris, any of the Egyptian gods, they never said, I will be with you and I will give you rest. Baal never said it to the Philistines, I will be with you and I will give you rest. The gods didn't promise that. Only Jehovah promised that. So how do you understand what that means? Our, um, the guide we're using, the She Reads Truth guide that we're sort of relying on for the, or we're using for the series, says, well, there are three kinds of rest. The physical rest, which we've talked about. And then there's the eternal rest in death that we can have in Christ. And then there's the, the in-between rest. So let's... We'll, We've done the physical death. Let's do the eternal rest. That's also a gift from God. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a gift. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's out of the kindness and goodness and generosity and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we have that rest. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we earned, apart from what Christ has done on our behalf. We kind of have this concept in our culture. We talk about somebody's final resting place. 
Well, it's not their final resting place. That's where their bones are resting, perhaps, but it's not their final resting place. Because the Bible teaches there are two possibilities. There's the eternal rest through Jesus Christ, or there's the eternal torment, being separated from God, alienated from God, and tormented for all eternity. Those are the two possibilities. You know, a month ago when Jimmy Buffett died, uh, you know, I, somebody read, I read something or heard somebody say, well, you know, now he's gone to the great beach in the sky. Well, you know, look, I'm not in a position to discuss Jimmy Buffett's spiritual life. I don't know the first thing about Jimmy Buffett's spiritual life, and God never asked us to judge other people's spiritual life like that. So I don't do it. But I can tell you, he's not on a great beach in the sky. That's not one of the available options. There were are two options. There's the eternal rest with God, and there's eternal separation from God, eternal torment. And this eternal rest from God, people have speculated forever about what this is like. We don't, we don't know, really. But what we know is that it's a time when we are in communion and fellowship with God, when we have harmony and love, we feel his security and his protection and, and all of the things that his presence gives us. And so that's the eternal rest. What about the one in between? I don't have a good word for this. Some people call it sabbatical rest or Sabbath rest, and that's good, that's biblical. It also has a certain connotation in my mind of, you know, Sundays. But there is a spiritual rest, we'll call it, that we experience or we can experience here and now every day. It's a chance for us to be with God be present with God when he gives us communication with him, when he gives us fellowship with him, when he gives us encouragement, when he repairs the damage that's been done and prepares us for what comes next, perhaps. Maybe that's the way you want to look at it. Maybe that's not true. Um, somehow it's a preparation or a mini version of the eternal rest and being united with God for all eternity, I think. If someone were to say something different, I'm not sure I would be equipped to challenge that. But we have this opportunity in these hours, in these days, and in these weeks, and in these years, to have this kind of a spiritual rest with God. It's a gift he's given us. There's a rhythm to this rest. This is a topic we'll take up, I don't know, another week. There's the daily kinds of opportunities for rest. Dan's talked about in this chair time where we just take a few minutes. Maybe we sing, maybe we pray, maybe we, maybe we just meditate, maybe we read the scriptures, maybe we do all of those things. It's just with God. So we not only feel his presence, but also his rest, his restorative rest. There's the weekly things. There's the, the, the Israelites had holy days all through. The, so they had not only the daily thing, and the, but they also had the 
Sabbath on Sunday. They had holidays throughout, holy days throughout the year when they were to experience the presence and the goodness of God. They had a crazy thing, absolutely crazy thing, called the Year of Jubilee. Did you ever hear about the Year of Jubilee? It's, it's, it's insane. I mean, it really is. It's in Leviticus 15, I think, where every 50 years, and it's not clear that how often the Israelites ever practiced this. Every 50 years, everybody stopped working. They didn't plant their fields. They didn't, you know, if you were in debt, your debts were taken care of, your debts were forgiven. If you were a slave, you were set free. If you owned property, it reverted back to the people who had owned it 50 years ago. I mean, that is so un-American. I mean, it is just, it is just craziness. But the point of it was to say, it all comes from God, and God will provide. I, don't, I definitely couldn't have followed that one. But, but that's what it was for. And again, I don't know how often the Israelites followed it either. So we have this presence of God daily in our lives, and he's offering us this gift of rest. We would never turn that down. No one would ever turn that down, right? That wouldn't happen. Hold that thought. Let's talk about the Exodus. So during the Exodus, Israel, the nation of Israel, was in the wilderness. And this is where all of the concept, well, not all of it, but a lot of the concept of rest comes from. There was a covenant between God and Moses. Where, this is where God says, I will be present and I will give you rest. And you think of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and how many times they had the presence of God in their life. They could see that. I think it's on the next slide. I don't have a lot of slides today. And they could say, so they could look up. There was a cloud or a pillar of fire, depending on day or night, that showed God was with them, God was driving them. All they had to do was look up. At Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given, there was thunder and lightning and spectacles and so on. There was, there was, you know, all they had to do was remember that, and they knew God was with them. They lugged around a tabernacle. The tabernacle was not a small little tent. It wasn't like they could, you know, it was a big thing that they carried it around all the time to show the tabernacle was where God met with them. That was to show that God was with them and they could, and he was all in, the tabernacle was always being carried around. They had these special holy days when they would have feasts and occasions to be with God. And one of my favorites, they had the manna. You might remember that the people were before the Ten Commandments were given, in fact, the people were complaining they had no food, they had no, how were they going to starve out here in the wilderness? And God gave them manna. And manna was, means, what is this? They did not know what it was. It was a blessing from God that every day they could go out and they could collect a gallon per person of this stuff, roughly a gallon per person of this stuff, to, to feed themselves every day. So 
every single day they had the presence of God with them. All they had to do was look up, see the cloud, go out, collect the manna. God was with them. Evidence they had every day. Imagine, because my mind works in these ways. Imagine two Israelites saying, "Ah, we should get together. What do you got on the 17th? Well, I'm going to look for the pillar of fire or the cloud, and I'm going to collect manna. Oh, okay. What do you got on the 27th? Yeah, this is their planner, right? They didn't have to look at their planner. What they had to do was every single day, this was their life. You would think, it's not that complicated. You would think they'd be able to get it right. They weren't taking kids to practice or to events. They didn't have a boss telling them what to do. They didn't have deadlines. They didn't have all the pressures and the things that we have. Our lives are definitely a lot more crowded and complicated than that. And that's just our culture. You would think they would get it right. You would think. You would think. Except. Now, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And now, this is a very long passage. I have not put it all up on the screen because um, it's just so long that the amount of the text would, would frighten you. So I'm just going to read it, and you can follow along. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you, you know, to, to, read, to follow along with me because only part of it's on the screen. So I'm just going to read it. This is the passage that told me 30 years ago. I don't think I get this completely. Starting in verse 7. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So now he switches to talking about his readers. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all the ones that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest if not for those who disobeyed? So we see then that they were not able because, to enter because of their unbelief. Going on to chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, not that there was leftover rest to be given out, but there was a depth of fellowship that, that God was offering that they didn't accept, let us be careful that none of you be found to be have fallen short of it. For we also have heard the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but in the message that they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who believe. Now we who believe enter that rest just as God has said. Okay, well, 
All right, we can keep reading. It keeps going, but we'll stop there for, just for the sake of time for the moment. Okay, it's a complicated passage, a lot going on, a lot that I don't know that I could fully explain to you, but let's take the simple things. Let's take the things that, we are, that are obvious. God was offering them a rest, right? Everybody agree that's true? They declined the rest, they rebelled against God, and therefore they didn't get the rest. Right? Everybody, that's true. Their rebellion consisted of hardening their hearts. So whatever that means, it's a bad thing. Don't harden your heart. If we want to enter this rest, you don't want to harden your heart. All right? Everybody agree? All right? And also, they were to encourage one another not to harden your heart. Okay? Everybody, everybody agree? Okay. Everybody agree with that? All right? That's sort of the... That's sort of, there's a lot more in that passage, but we'll take those parts. All right. Here's an important point, if you can have the next slide. There we go. Even though they rebelled, and even though they were not going to be able to enter the promised land, God was still present with them and he was still active with them the entire time. Even though they rebelled, he still gave them manna every day. He still had the pillar of fire and the clouds. He still had all of the things that showed, I'm present. What they were saying, in effect, was, we're glad to have the blessings of having you present, but we don't really want the relationship with you. And so, but their hardness of hearts, how did they harden their hearts? What does that phrase mean? Because we don't want to do it. Whatever it means, don't do it. Right? Don't harden your heart. Okay, it's a very clear descriptive phrase. It's the form, it's how we form a callus. You know what happens with a callus is you get, you know, a layer of skin and then you get another layer on top of that, another layer on top of that. And it takes a while for the callus to build up. You don't get it all at once. That's this word. What happened was that they would look up, they'd say, ah, that's God again. And they would just put another layer of skin over their hearts. Ah, oh, the manna. Oh. Oh, another layer of skin. I don't know this is true. You know, I'll let Dan or Angela or Lindsay or somebody who knows more, you know, Matt, who actually knows a lot more than I do, sort this out. But, I, but the picture I have in my mind is that every time, or whenever, maybe not every time, but whenever we are aware of the presence of God and we choose to be indifferent, choose to ignore it, choose to say, yeah, we get another layer on the callus. Every individual layer is pretty soft, but once you get the layering, it's hard. And that's what happened. 
their hearts hardened and they rebelled. So how then do we respond to this? Well, he tells us, remind one another daily. This is what you can do for me. This is what we can do for one another. Peel back the callus. Don't harden your hearts. Just peel it back just a little bit. Just be aware of the presence of God and dwell in the presence of God. And not only be aware of the presence, but welcome the presence as his gift of rest to us. So remind one another daily, as long as it remains today. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this gift of rest. It is something that I can't, uh, I can't process. I welcome the fact that I can enter your presence and feel you restoring me and feel you preparing me and feel your love and feel your communion and fellowship. And I pray that I'll never, I won't become indifferent or I won't again become indifferent that you will work in each of us to help us, one another, to help us to say to one another, how is God working? How do you feel God working? How are you responding? Thank you, Lord, for this great gift of rest in all of his forms. In Christ's names, who gave us the eternal rest. Amen.